0: You guys have been in a series in Ephesians, and we're gonna continue in that today. Uh, It's a passage I'm sure that many of you are familiar with. It's one that uh, I've looked at many times, but took some time this week to kind of take a fresh look at it. I'm very excited, just some of the different things that God kind of just showed me and kind of even stirred in my own heart, and so I hope that it will uh, also do the same for you. But let's do this. Let's bow our heads, pray, and then we're gonna dig in uh, to the scripture together this morning. Heavenly Father, we do just praise you and thank you so much. Even just as we sang songs of of worship and adoration towards you this morning, I pray that we would continue in that same attitude of worship as we study your word, and, and God, that you would do something special, that it wouldn't be just knowing a few more facts from the Bible or... Uh, learning something new, but instead that you would truly change us, transform us, encourage our spirits, move us to a place in which we are more faithful and obedient to you. We thank you so much for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, if you brought your Bibles with you, I want to uh, invite you to open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 7 through 13. And uh, we're going to walk through them. We'll make four different observations because we're going to break it apart. Uh, the first one we'll look at is verses 7 through 10. It should be projected as well. Or if you're using your phone, you can do that. But do kind of uh, keep your place because, as I said, we're just going to walk through this entire passage uh, today and make observations along the way. So our first one, that we're, our first uh, scripture that we'll read, Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. All right, so our first observation, if you want to write this down, if you're one that likes to take notes, is that spiritual gifts exemplify the generosity of God. Spiritual gifts exemplify the generosity of God. So this passage, you know, as we go through 16, we're going to be focusing today on spiritual gifts spiritual positions and offices within, uh, within the church. In this first observation, we're looking at the generosity of God. Now, it starts out with a little bit of, you know, uh, it makes sense to us. Like, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. But then there's a little bit of this obscure part of this, you know, captives and giving gifts to men, ascended, descended. Like, what in the world is going on here? Well, what the Apostle Paul is doing, he's actually quoting Psalm 68 to show the divinity and the exaltation of Christ. Uses a little bit of, you know, some Old Testament from Psalm 68, kind of uh, uses a majority of the uh, the verse as it is, kind of changes a few things to kind of highlight that Jesus is God, and then there's this whole ascended-descended thing, which really is talking about Christ, coming to earth, descending, but then you know being um, crucified on the cross, buried, but raising on the third day. So I love this because even as we're talking about spiritual gifts here, this starts out with a foundation of the gospel. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing here before he gets into some of the nitty-gritty and the details of spiritual gifts. He's saying it starts with the gospel, and the gospel is all about generosity. Uh, The Apostle Paul says it a little bit differently in 2 Corinthians 8, but I love it. It's saying the same thing, but maybe a little bit more digestible uh, for us. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, so, you know, in heaven, Yet for our sake he became poor, that's the whole descended part, so that uh, you through his poverty might become rich. So what happens here? Christ is exalted. And so what does Christ do with that exaltation? Well, we see it here in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. In other words, he uses his exaltation to give This is the whole generosity. It's an it exemplifies the very generosity of God. Okay, this this whole thing of giving, and so we'll ask a question as it relates to spiritual gifts. Well, who gets spiritual gifts? Who receives spiritual gifts? Well, verse seven is very clear to us. Each one of us, every single person who has said yes to Jesus, who has placed their faith in Christ, is given a spiritual gift. I can't help but to think here of Oprah. You get a gift, and you get a gift, and you get a gift. Now, don't tweet it. I don't want to hear, you know, the pastor was quoting Oprah from the pulpit, okay? That would be very misunderstood, but I couldn't help But to think of it, because a lot of people think of her as so generous, but you think of Christ. Every person who has said yes to Jesus is given a spiritual gift. It says, as Christ apportions it, as Christ divvies it out, because we're going to learn a little bit about both the diversity and the unity that happens in this distribution of spiritual gifts. And this is one of the things that this week I told you that, you know, I've Preached this passage before at at the church that I led and at, at other churches and you know seminars and that but there's something that kind of struck me a little bit this week as I focused in on this word of you know Christ apportioning it or distributing it and as it dealt with the generosity of God and that is this: do you ever struggle with the generosity of god now, it's a rhetorical question i'm not asking you to raise your hand right now, but I do want you to just ponder the question for just a moment. Do you ever struggle with the generosity of God? I know that people say, oh, you know, I struggle with understanding why there's evil in this world, and I struggle to understand why God would, you know, you know fill in the blank, but do you ever struggle with the generosity of God? Uh, as I reflected on that question, my answer is a resounding yes, and, and here's why. Uh, and well, the reason why it's important as we talk about spiritual gifts is that usually we would say, no, why would, we, why would we struggle with the generosity of God? That doesn't make sense. Generosity is such a great thing. But what we tend to do as human beings, as we look to the left, we look to the right, and then we begin to say, well, why was God more generous with that person? Why does this person have, that? why is that their story, why is that what they get to do for a living? Why do they have that spouse? Or, you know, and the same thing can happen with spiritual gifts. And we see that it happens throughout the early church. And the Apostle Paul's always having to address this because people are questioning, instead of saying, Oh, God's been generous to me with a spiritual gift, we go, why don't I have that spiritual gift? Or I want that one instead. Or that person who has the same spiritual gift as me seems to use theirs in a different way. Way, and I love it because Jesus even addressed this while he walked this earth. Now I, you don't need to turn there now. But I'm going to share this parable. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe it'll just refresh your memory a little bit. But Jesus shares this parable in which there's this um, farmer. Essentially, I'm going to kind of paraphrase it for you, and then we'll you know kind of uh, I'll, I'll read directly from it for his kind of final line. But there's this farmer who needs some work. Uh, To be done. And so he goes out to hire some workers early in the morning and basically says, I'll tell you what, I will pay you a day's wage, 100 bucks. Okay, I'm gonna give you $100 and you're gonna put in your nine to five. And they go, Well, we don't have a job right now. That sounds great. So they go and they start, you know, working the farm, working the uh, vineyard, uh, so to speak. But as time goes on, we'll say maybe lunch hour. Um, there's still some other workers out in the marketplace. They don't have a job, so the farmer comes to them and says, "Well, are, 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 do you have a job?" And they're like, "No." It's like, "Well, why don't you come and, and work for me?" And don't worry, I'll take care of you. So they're like, "Okay." So they start working. Same thing mid afternoon. All of a sudden, it gets even right, even you know, an hour before quitting time, and the farmer goes out. And find some worker and say, hey, you don't have work yet? And they're like, no, and it's almost the end of the day. Well, tell you what, just come work for me and I'll take care of you. So they go and they work. And then all of a sudden it gets to the end of the day. And all of the people come because it's payday. That'd be kind of nice, right? Get a payday every single day. Comes to the end of the day. And he starts with the people who just came in the last hour. 100 bucks. And the people that came, you know, at the beginning of the day, like, this is going to be awesome. We just hit a windfall. This guy is awesome. This farmer must be just loaded. And then all of a sudden, those that came, you know, at noon, 100 bucks, and then the guys that were there all day long, they get $100 too. And they're like, what? Are you kidding me? This is totally unfair, How is it possible we've been working all day, they say, in the scorching heat, and you gave us the same as the person who basically just showed up? And this was the answer. But he answered them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius, a day's wage? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money or are you envious because I am generous? This is an age-old problem. It's not just today. And I'm just asking you just to keep it a little bit in the back as we explore spiritual gifts, because the whole point here today is not to just learn some different facts, but that you would evaluate you know, your own uh, spiritual gift or, or gifts and how you would function in them. And sometimes as a blocker, people will allow envy and to look at other people's gifts and that stops them from actually uh, using their own. All right, so that was our point. Our observation number one is that spiritual gifts exemplify the generosity of God. So if we pick back up, we're at verse 11. Uh, this is the one that many people are familiar with. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. So just a short one there. So our observation number two is is that there are spiritual gifts and there are spiritual offices or spiritual positions. Um, and uh, the reason why I think that this is just a little bit important for us just to take a moment to look at is because I surrendered my life to Christ when I was in college and you know, was taught about spiritual gifts. But man, it must have been even a year, two years, maybe even three years in to my walk, that I understood that there was actually descriptions of both spiritual gifts, but then actual descriptions of spiritual positions. We're kind of talking about both here because the passage does talk about both, starting in verse 7, talking about everyone having a spiritual gift, but here it even talks about the, the specific roles within the church. Now, there's some debate whether. All roles still exist today. Of course, we would say, yes, pastors and teachers. Um, But some would say, well, are there still these other roles? Like, is there still a, you know, a title prophet? Or is there still a title, um, you know, apostle uh, uh, even? And this is the great thing about a guest preacher. I don't need to answer those hard questions for you. So you can ask uh, Pastor Jeff and the other pastors after I leave. Um, All I'm going to say is I'm just highlighting the fact Uh, that some would say, oh, you know what? Some of those no longer exist. So kind of the argument for that would be uh, that they had a specific role and function. So like a prophet or an apostle, they had the function of actually, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing scripture. And so we don't need that anymore. You know, like, so, you know, the the close of the New Testament. Uh, So some would say some of those are no longer uh, in existence. And others would say, well, they still exist, they just have a different, a different function. So you can kind of explore some of that. Um, but uh, the other thing that I, and I've shared this, I, I believe, here before, um, that I think is important for us to just pause and look at is that some of these spiritual uh, offices that we have, it says uh, that they are, a, um, they are a gift to the church, And I think it's great because this is actually, October is Pastoral Appreciation Month. Actually, someone tapped me on the shoulder this morning and said, oh, I thought you were Jeff. And then they look kind of disappointed, you know? (laughs) I said, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not Jeff. And he said, well, I just wanted to, you know, wish him a uh, happy, happy pastor appreciation. I thought, man, that is so great because that's even part of the sermon. See, oftentimes we don't look at our pastors as a gift to the church. Sometimes they're just utilitarian and, you know, um, take them for granted type of thing. So this is kind of what you have to do, because I'm assuming if Jeff is really taking vacation, then he's not actually listening to this sermon and, you know, live streaming and, you know, texting in what needs to change for the second service type of thing. Um, But what I want to encourage you to do between now and the end of the month, and it's better if you do it within this next week, otherwise you're just going to forget about it. Send a text, send an email, do a handwritten card, something to express your appreciation. You wouldn't believe sometimes just the simplest, it doesn't you don't need to write a you know four page paper of everything that is you know awesome and amazing, but just even a small little encouragement of thanks goes a long way. Add a Starbucks gift card, goes a little further. Add add a steak dinner, it goes even a little further than that. But in all sincerity, to to be able to say a thanks is a huge thing. And maybe the bigger thing is just that you have this perspective, this vision, this framework um, that your pastors are a gift, Because it it changes a lot. This doesn't mean that pastors are perfect, because there are times where you're going to be frustrated and you're angry and you don't like the decision, and some of it may be that they made legitimate mistakes. But if you also have this perspective of this verse where it's like, you know Christ is exalted, and yes, he gives spiritual gifts to each and every person, but he also gave these spiritual positions to be a gift to the church. And we'll talk about their uh, function and role in a minute. So those are the spiritual offices, the spiritual positions. But then we also know that similar to some of these offices are this lists or these lists of spiritual gifts that are described in the Bible. And we find those, you know, the two main ones, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12. We won't go through. I'm not going to read through all of them. But I do want you to jot those down because I want you to reference them later. Uh, I'd add to that, 1 Peter 4 has some mention of spiritual gifts there to just become aware. And this is interesting to me. So, my role, my job is to um, help to recruit and deploy church planters. And I've got a really, really great job. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's awesome. And one of the things that I do is, you know, I, I start this application process with. Uh, you know, with these prospective church planners, and many of them have gone to seminary. Many of them have been in ministry for a while. So I'm not like the uh, uh, farmer that's just going to the marketplace and saying, hey, who wants to plant the church today? And I have on my questionnaire, what is your spiritual gift or what are your spiritual gifts? And I am shocked that the answers oftentimes that are written down are not even spiritual gifts that are found in the Bible. Like, They must not have taken time. Again, these are people who have even gone to school. So I don't want to just assume that everybody knows some of these different spiritual gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans. And so to be able to go through and to kind of look at some of these different spiritual gifts. And as I have pastored over the years, these are the three main questions that I often get as it relates to spiritual gifts. Um, First one, most important one, how do I know which one I have? Number two, can I have more than one, and can they change? And the third one is, can you develop a spiritual gift? Okay, so for the first one, how do you know which one you have? So there's a couple different things in this process. Uh, The first one is one that sometimes I get a little bit... uh, uh, almost nervous to share because it can be both a helpful tool and not helpful tool. And that is a spiritual gifts inventory. So what's a spiritual gifts inventory? You can um, basically take a quiz, whether it's online or you can do it on paper and you fill it out. And then at the end, it'll kind of spit out a result to you. Uh, and here's, here's why I said that I get a little bit nervous about it. Uh, because it can be a great tool as a starting point but it can be a bad tool if you rely only on that. I've had people that'll take a spiritual gifts inventory and they literally like print it out, frame it, you know, put a little gold seal on it. And they're like, that's my spiritual gift, end of story. And for the rest of their life, that they just think that's what their spiritual gift is. And I think that short circuits the way that God actually has us to kind of recognize it. And I share this from even personal experience because as a, as a young believer, I thought that my primary spiritual gift was evangelism. And I'll tell you why I thought it was uh, that way. Yes, I took a spiritual gifts inventory and evangelism popped up as uh, number one. Uh, the second reason is because I had a passion for evangelism. I, I came to Christ and had a pretty radical conversion, if you will, and I was on a college campus, and so I was excited to share my faith. I, I loved evangelism. I was part of Campus Crusade for Christ, so I was you know, I was taught how to do initiative evangelism and knock on doors and, and share the gospel with people. And the third is, is that uh, um, pretty early on, I felt called to be a church planter, And in all the church planting literature, all the church planting conferences, they say that, you know, the number one spiritual gift of a church planter is evangelism. So I thought, well, duh. So that is definitely me. But what I realized over time is that evangelism was not one of my primary gifts and maybe not even a spiritual gift that I had. And I discovered that because I started to recognize other people who did have that spiritual gift. They were the ones that, I mean, they could literally be sitting on a plane or, you know, just ordering their their food and they're like leading people to Christ left and right. I, I did evangelism. I did lead people to Christ from time to time, but not in the same way that I was recognizing and seeing it in other people. And it took some time for me to realize that my primary spiritual gift was leadership. And maybe a secondary spiritual gift was uh, teaching and preaching and that I was using that gift to help equip others in evangelism. And I had a passion for evangelism, but evangelism itself wasn't actually my primary spiritual gift. So if you start with a spiritual gifts inventory, that can be a good thing. And you, you have that opportunity to do that here at Judson. Uh, it's called Serve Class. Uh, so I, I think that there's some that are coming up. you guys are going to be uh, trying to do an online one which will will uh, open up more opportunities and you'll you'll take a spiritual gifts inventory let that be your starting place. but number two is you know reading scripture as I said before, starting to discover what are these different spiritual gifts and if you 're seeing the ones that come out on your inventory like how is it being used and Beyond even the verses that I gave, you might read the book of Acts and go, oh, well, this, you know, Philip, the evangelist, he, he had the spiritual gift of you know of evangelism. And this, you know, the apostle Paul was operating in this sort of way. And so you kind of are spending this time in reading and, and prayer and journaling. But then I would say there comes a point where you need to step out in faith. When you recognize, okay, I, I think, as I take the spiritual gifts inventory, as I'm reading scripture, uh, that my spiritual gift is teaching and preaching. Okay, and let's just use, say, for example, that you didn't go to school for that, you're not, a, you're not a pastor, but all of a sudden it's continuing to come up that your gift is preaching and teaching. There's going to come a point where you need to step out in faith and begin to preach and then to see if there is fruitfulness if you are effective in that spiritual gift. And probably gonna have to do it more than once to kind of, you know, uh, to, to discern this, which then comes to kind of the final point, which is the confirmation of others. As others are witnessing you exercise this spiritual gift as you're kind of discerning and testing that. What is their feedback from you? I can't help but to think in my mind of American Idol and the outtakes, right? We've most of us have seen those before where The person comes up in front of the panel of judges, and they sing, and it is like blood curdling. Like, your ears are just like, oh, this is horrible, and they're just singing their lungs out. It's so bad that the judges are like, stop, 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 like, no more. And they're like, what? Like, are you stopping me because I made it? And they're like, that is the worst thing that I have ever heard. And they're shocked, they're like, how can that be? I have been singing in the shower since I have been four years old, and my mother tells me I have the most amazing voice. And they're like, okay, well, we kind of see the problem here. I think that sometimes you could even do that within the church. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about where you have you know, people that you trust uh, surrounding you, and that's the beauty of being part of a church body, that you'll have people go, oh, I see that in you. I see how God is doing something in you, and yes, you have that spiritual gift. And so that's something, though, that takes time. So the application point for today isn't, you know, find out your spiritual gift this week. Maybe start the process. But this is a, this is a process that can take months, I would say years, maybe even decades to... Uh, to, to um, to discern all right, uh, quickly moving along here, um, can you have more than one, and can they change uh, so i've already kind of alluded to this a little bit, uh, but yes, there's nowhere in scripture where it says you are limited to one, it just says that every person will have one uh, can they uh, can they change um, i I would say yes as i as I look at scripture, and that might not be the main way I think that for Many people's, many Christians experience. They may have one primary spiritual gift that kind of lasts from the point that they become a believer until they die. There can be this consistent, like you have the spiritual gift of this. Uh, but Scripture doesn't say um, that um, it's permanent and it will always just be this one. It could change, or you could have one that is added to it. It's a little bit hard to kind of you know put into you know, put into a box. Let me be very clear, though. This is not talking about the permanency that we have in the Holy Spirit. So if you remember Ephesians chapter 1, it says that if you say yes to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and you are sealed until the day of redemption. That is permanent, okay, for salvation. But here, as it talks about spiritual gifts, it may have some ebb and flow and change or even just be temporary for a time a situation or a season. So for example, I want you to just think of this real quick. Uh, let's imagine that you're the quiet, shy person and you're, you just volunteered to go on the, you know, the youth retreat. And on the youth retreat, all of a sudden, the bus gets into an accident. And totally outside of your personality, Uh, you're empowered by the spirit to just step up. You're the one that's like, okay, here's what we need to do. I need two people to go into town. I need someone to call 911. We're going to get the children over here, and then we're going to do this. And all of a sudden, you have this spiritual gift of leadership that is just outside of anything that anyone has ever seen out of you. It's supernatural. It's spirit-empowered. And then all of a sudden, you get back to church a week later, and you're right back to quiet person who doesn't raise their hand and say anything, right? That can totally happen. And to me, that would be an example of how maybe there's a spiritual gift for a specific situation or a circumstance and others, it could be long-term. All right. Can you develop a spiritual gift? To me, I would say yes. And the reason that I say this is that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, there's the apostle Paul is talking to Timothy and he says, I don't want you to neglect your gift. Okay. It doesn't say what gift it is but it's probably preaching and teaching because he was talking about that right beforehand, talks about it a little bit later uh, in the passage. He says, don't neglect it. Uh, some, of the, some of the translations say, he, he says, I want you to immerse yourself in it or give yourself wholly to it, catch this then, so that others may see your progress. In other words, the apostle Paul was saying, you have the spiritual gift of teaching, But I want you to to give it your effort. I want it to be developed so that people will see you even increase in it. And this may be what some of you needed to hear today. Because some of you are like, been there, done that. I know this. I've taken the spiritual gifts inventory. I I know what it is. It's, you know, know, fill in the blank, whatever. Um, But maybe this is the area that you just needed just a little bit of a boost to know that it can be developed, that you step out in faith, that you continue to ask God to use it and to use it to, uh, to a degree more and more um, for its ultimate purpose, which leads us right in uh, to our next verse, um, verse 12, uh, to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So our observation number three, spiritual gifts and spiritual office have a clear purpose, and function. Okay, this is where I think our translation of gifts can sometimes throw us off a little bit. Because what? A gift is for me, right? It's, it's, it's mine. And to be honest, sometimes that's the way that people function when they think of spiritual gifts, that it's for you and it's about you, and it never is. It is so clear in Scripture, clear right here, the whole Spiritual offices, the, the the pastor, the teacher, their job is to equip the saints. It's for the advancement of the kingdom. It's for the body. It is for the church. We read the same thing in other parts of scripture where it says it's for the spiritual gifts are for the common good. That it would be for the church and for the advancement of the gospel. And we've seen this over and over and over again, where Gifts are misused, that people make it about themselves, even pastors make it about themselves, and um, pretty soon the whole thing kind of goes off the rails. This is what helps, circling back to point number one of the generosity of God. When you understand that the gift isn't for you, it's for others, it's for for God to flow through you, uh, it really helps. Because then you don't need to look to the left and right and say, oh, I wish I had that one. I wish I had the pastor one. I wish I had the teaching. I, wish I had the teaching gift. I wish I could be on the platform more, or had a microphone. Uh, but in, instead, we see, well, no, it's it's not for me, anyways. It's not for my glory. It's not for my limelight. It's actually for the advancement of the church, and that should be something that's always in the back of your mind as you're thinking of how you're exercising your spiritual gift. Maybe it's the gift of mercy you know, being able to to serve others, leadership. Maybe it's the gift of of giving. Maybe it's the gift of hospitality. All of these things are all others-centered. All right, so for our final one here, uh, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, these last two verses, I mean, they all go together, but these last two have so much crossover. Observation number four, proper use of spiritual gifts will produce a recognizable outcome. I would say this individually and corporately as the church is that when we operate in our uh, spiritual gifts, what we're gonna see is unity, maturity, and fullness of Christ. I want you to imagine that yourself imagine it even specifically here for judson that if everyone said okay i recognize my spiritual gift and i'm operating in my spiritual gift i'm using it and this is not a new theme this has been one of the themes of all of ephesians right the unity of the body and how we become alive as a church and if we use our spiritual gifts and we use them in the proper way to serve the church, we see God do amazing things. The unity of the church, the maturity of the church, and we experience the fullness of Christ. And so no matter where you're at, maybe you don't know your spiritual gifts, this is all completely brand new, maybe you're even new to the church, start on that journey. Start discovering it. For those of you that know your spiritual gift, then continue to step out in faith develop it, help others to see theirs, to develop it, and let's see what God can do in the unity, maturity, and the fullness of Christ within the church. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we do just praise you and thank you so much that you're a generous God, that your ultimate display of generosity was dying on the cross, that we might have new life in you, that we might have life eternal. We also thank you that you have given each and every person that has said yes to you, that has placed their faith in you, a spiritual gift that we might use it not for our own glory, but for the advancement of the church, for the common good. And I want to pray specifically now for those in this room that maybe don't even know what their spiritual gift is, that you would use scripture today. Use something in, in 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12 to just jump out at them as, as a starting point that they would put that before you. Lord, for some that may even be scared to use their spiritual gift, would you give them the faith and the perseverance to trust you? And God, I do pray if there's anyone in this room that has not said yes to you, that even right now that they would have soft hearts to be able to receive the ultimate gift, and that's the gift of salvation, that they would come to a recognition that apart from you, that they are separated from you eternally, but that you don't want it to be that way, that no matter what they've done, no matter what sins that they've committed, that that's why you died on the cross and that they would recognize that and that right now, They would just say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I need you. I need your forgiveness. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I surrender my life to you. And God, we trust your word that says that your Holy Spirit will indwell them and seal them until the day of redemption, that you would keep them and hold them, that you'd give them a clean slate. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.